When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Well, happy Friday, everybody. John Schmoke, Lance Meadow with you on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. Hope everyone's had a pleasant week. Giants getting ready to take on the Dallas Cowboys on a whiteout night on Monday Night Football. If you're going to the game, make sure you dress in all white. They're giving out white towels, I believe. Yeah, I got one right in here. Actually, they got the white towels going on. It's a whiteout atmosphere. You're going to have the Ring of Honor at halftime. It's the Color Rush jerseys. It's all sorts of stuff going on. I know Lance is really into the uniforms. He's going to talk about that a lot today. He loves talking jerseys. So we'll touch on that in more, and you can give us a call, by the way, at 201-939-4513. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you brought that up right off the top because I think that's clearly the most influential type of facet that we wanted to get to in terms of what will influence the outcome of Monday night's game. Number one key to the game. Yes, no no doubt about it. Absolutely. It will definitely be the uniforms and how distracting they will be to the Dallas Cowboys. You figure they'll tap out by midway through the third quarter because of the reflection of the lights onto those jerseys. That's what my prediction is. Now, all jokes aside, and I made this point, if you you go check it out, I talked to Carl Banks on, on the Giants Huddle podcast, and then later on today, uh, we're going to have our usual late Friday podcast, uh, Julian Loves the Player Guest, and we kind of talk about this. I I think right now, and we'll see what happens when they wear the retro ones next week, I really like the 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 white jerseys with the blue numbers. I actually think those are might be my favorite jerseys, to be honest with you, that, uh, that the Giants wear. Do you have a preference, Lance? No, I can't say that I've really thought about this or had some sleepless nights. I'm glad that you at least have thought for the two of us because you know other people are not necessarily prioritizing it to your level. Yeah. Listen, I think it's nice. It certainly adds to the flavor of the game, Monday night prime time, and I think it's great from a marketing standpoint that they do it. But I've made this very clear. Jerseys, uniforms, it's a nice <laughs> complimentary piece to the National Football League. At the end of the day, does it rock my boat? No. Does it get me ultra excited? All I need is a football game. I couldn't care less about the rest of the things connected to the game. All right, so let's talk about the football game, Lance. Giants and Cowboys. Cowboys come into the game at 1-1. Giants obviously tied for first place in the NFC East with the Philadelphia Eagles at uh, 2-0. So a very important game, and I guess we'll start with the Giants' defensive matchup against the Cowboys' offense. Dak Prescott not available for this game. It'll be Cooper Rush. And then I think a part of this game that has been probably under-talked about a little bit, Lance, the Dallas Cowboys are starting rookies at left tackle and left guard, so I think we should start there. And one opportunity I think I see here for the Giants is all those, if you can get them into you know second and long and third and long, all of those Wink Martindale, stun splitzes, showing blitz here, coming the other way, everyone's standing up at the line, all those things that are staples of what Wink Martindale wants to do, could maybe confuse a very inexperienced left side of that Cowboys offensive line that you would hope could create some plays. I think that's the goal. The goal is also I think you want this game on the shoulders of Cooper Rush, given the fact that he doesn't have a wealth of experience. It's only going to be his third career start. Tyler Smith, though, has held up very nicely yeah, at left well. tackle, considering yep. he doesn't have a lot of playing time, as you mentioned, and they weren't anticipating to even kick him out to tackle. I think the plan was 
Tyron Smith is your left tackle. Tyler Smith, the rookie, is your left guard. Yeah, Lance, in fact, Tyler Smith and Todd Archer made this point to you and Paul on the, the Huddle Podcast coming up later today. He didn't take any snaps at left tackle yeah. through all of training camp. Well, because he was also hurt, too, which did contribute a little bit. He was sidelined a little bit. But, yeah, Tyron was there. And then all of a sudden, Tyron Smith gets the hamstring injury. And now, all of a sudden, you have to turn to plan B. So that really, you know, threw a little bit of a wrench into the plans of the Dallas Cowboys. But he's adjusted very well. And remember, he's gone up against the Bucks and the Bengals, John, in the first two weeks, who have pretty good defensive fronts. It's oh, sure. not as if he's going up against the bottom tier of the NFL. That's encouraging if you probably ask the Dallas coaching staff. The wild card right now is left guard. Connor McGovern was supposed to be the guy. He got banged up in week one. Matt Farniok takes over for him, seventh-round pick in 2021. Clearly another player, not a lot of experience, had his ups and downs. I wonder, though, and we did talk with Todd Archer about this, Jason Peters was brought in right before the season started, and when he was brought in, the talk was, well, he need a few weeks, get acclimated to the system. Depending on what they get out of him in practice this week, and I was listening to Mike McCarthy, he mentioned Peters and Michael Gallup are in the same boat. Can they get multiple practices in, and then that would indicate whether or not they have a realistic shot. Gallup, I think, is more on the right side of questionable. Peters, a little bit more of a question mark, but if Peters gets enough work in, whether he starts or not, as long as he's active, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of the veteran offensive lineman. And I think we would see him at guard. They wouldn't sure. put him at tackle and then slide Smith in. Because Smith, no. to your point, yeah. has actually played better than I thought he would play the first two weeks, to be totally honest with you. I thought he was a pretty raw prospect coming out of Tulsa. Uh, but he's a, he, I think him and Evan Neal have actually had very comparable First couple games of the year, you know, they've had some not-so-great moments, but for the most part, they've held up fairly well. So, no, I'm with you with that 100%, Lance. A couple other facets of the offense, and you just touched on one of them, the availability of both Michael Gallup, who's still returning from that torn ACL end of last year. I believe he didn't have surgery until February on that knee. And when he wasn't put on the PUP list or IR to start the year, the thought was he would be back before game four. This is game three. So uh, Mike McCarthy basically said he was going to be able to play yesterday. We'll see how practice goes this week if that continues. And then Dalton Schultz is the other factor here. Uh, he has a PCL injury in his knee. He hurt that on Sunday in their week two game against the Bengals. He seems to be less sure, but there does seem to be a chance that he can play as well. So those are two things to keep an eye on as the weekend goes. And those are two very important weapons for the Cowboys offense, Lance, because other than CeeDee Lamb, if those two guys don't play, you know, Noah Brown leads the team in receptions and, and, and yards right now. Year. He has, but he almost has more receptions and yards than he has ever had in any other single season in his career through two games. So sure. not a lot of experienced players outside of CeeDee Lamb if Gallup and Schultz can't go. Yeah, Brown was a special teamer. Now, all of a sudden, opportunity has presented itself because of the injury to Gallup and, then, of course, then parting ways with Amari Cooper. So, clearly, if you're Dallas, yes, you want Gallup out there to compliment C.D. Lamb. Lamb is getting a little bit more attention this year because now he's the one guy you have to worry about. You put Gallup out there. It makes the giant secondary have to think, and then you throw Schultz out there. That's another weapon. But I think if you're the Cowboys— you clearly want to be able to rely on your running backs. You want to be able to get Zeke involved as well as Tony Pollard, who can also catch the ball to the backfield. It's been a little bit more of a 50-50-ish split this season, or at least they're hoping to progress that way. Though there was all this talk about Pollard having a breakout campaign and really playing a prominent role. I have yet to see that in the first two games. I don't know. Maybe this is the game that they branch him out a little bit more. What I'm fascinated with is if you're Wink Martindale, do you duplicate the game plan that you utilize to keep Christian McCaffrey in check where you relied on McKinney shadowing him more on the defensive backs? Or is Dallas to Wink more like Tennessee where you have Derrick Henry slash Zeke, Dontrell Hilliard slash Tony Pollard, and are you more concerned about having the bigger personnel on the field to handle Zeke, and therefore Dallas may then try to test the linebackers if he chooses to go in that direction in how they cover? That, to me, I think is the game of chess that will be very interesting. Does he go with week one's game plan, week two, or something completely different that we haven't seen yet? Yeah, and I think to your point, he really does tailor his game plan to the opponent. And I guess this is another point that I'll make, and I, I asked Julian Love about this too. You know, Wink Martindale has been more flexible and uh, 
using more derivatives of, of his defense than I thought he would week in, week out. And maybe this was a, a false impression that I had, but you know, from the outside looking in, not watching Ravens games every week, you got the feeling that, oh, you know, he runs all his man-to-man, cover zero, cover one, and that's what you're going to see most of the time. But I really think that he's mixed up his coverages a lot this year, Lance, and I think he has adjusted to the personnel, and this is something we talk about all offseason, right? You have a very young, inexperienced cornerback group, and other than Adoree Jackson, and it could be problematic if they're out there on an island all the time, one-on-one without safety help, but I really don't think Wink has put them in as many of those situations as I thought he would. And I think that's a credit to him showing flexibility where, look, maybe I don't have the horses here. I don't have Marcus Peters. I don't have, you know, Marlon Humphreys out there to do all these things that you want to do in terms of the cover zero, cover one. And while they're still using it a little bit, not as much as I thought they would. And I think he's really doing a nice job switching up in the secondary, disguising and showing offenses different looks. And I think that showed in how they played both Tennessee and Carolina in week one and week two. And it's a wise game plan. You should protect the youthful personnel. We sure. talked about that all off season. If you don't have the same weaponry that you're able to showcase in Baltimore, you can't just all of a sudden roll out that scheme and expect the level of execution to be at the same pace that you did with the Ravens. Now, do things change with Thibodeau and Ojolari likely coming back? Does that give him an opportunity to be a little bit more aggressive because he figures maybe those guys will get home? I don't know. I think a lot will depend on how successful they are right out of the gates because, remember, the other thing that's missing right now from this Giants defense, and it hasn't necessarily come back to bite them, we have not seen the pass rush pick up. We've not seen an overwhelming amount of finishes. I'm not saying that he hasn't been aggressive. He hasn't blitzed a little. What I'm talking about is they're not getting the sack numbers. Those are not overwhelming. And remember, we talked about this all offseason. I'm not talking about one guy in particular. I don't look at Thibodeau and Ojolari as the savior. They're going to come back and they're going to get 10 sacks. Piecemeal. We're not even seeing the piecemeal, though, I would say, through the first two games at a level where, hey, maybe you get three sacks this game and you get four sacks that game. You have two secondary players, a linebacker, a defensive end. We're not there yet. Does that change now with, once again, Thibodeau and Ojolari coming back? Perhaps. But if I'm Wink, I need to see it first. I need to see those guys finish before maybe I employ whatever I'm thinking about to dig deep into my bag of tricks. I just I want to experiment a little. I don't know if he's going to pull the trigger immediately upon their return. I guess that's what I'm getting at. No, Lance, I'm with you 100%. I think it'll be interesting to see how, if they do play, and we'll see, they were limited in practice yesterday. I think the arrow's pointing up on those guys, but we'll have to wait and see. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. So let's flip it now. We talked about the Giants defense versus the Cowboys offense. Let's flip now. You take a look at this Cowboys defense, and we, we talked a lot about Micah Parsons this week, so we don't need to go down that road again. Needless to say, he's really good, might be the best edge rusher in the NFL right now, and the Giants are going to have to deal with him, especially considering he lines up in all these different spots. But I want to talk about a different facet, and you talk about you know the team pass rush. And the Dallas Cowboys right now, Lance, use stunts and twists on more plays, a higher percentage of their plays, pardon me, than any other team in the National Football League. They have run a stunt or twist on 53% of their pass defense snaps. The next highest team is at 46%. And if you look at the Titans and the Panthers, the Panthers use them on just 13% of their snaps this year, and the Titans just 21%. So I think the Giants are going to deal with a lot more movement up front with all those moving pieces, and they're going to move Demarcus Lawrence around. They're going to move Michael Parsons around. They're going to move Dorrance Armstrong around, Dante Fowler around, and they're going to put them in different spots, and they're going to twist, and they're going to stunt. And we talked about how the interior of that Giants offensive line, right, has had some issues in the first two weeks in pass protection, and I think they're going to put those guys in those twists and stunts. They're going to put rookie Evan Neal on the, le- on the right side of that offensive line in twists and stunts. They like to put Demarcus Lawrence next to Micah Parsons over yep. the opposing team's right tackle. They like the same stuff Wink does. They'll stand everybody up at the line of scrimmage. you got to figure out who's coming, who's going. They'll fake those two linebackers like Mike Zimmer used to do, fake those two inside linebackers, both in the A-gap, sometimes they come, sometimes they pull back. That messes with your protection scheme. So I think how the Giants deal with all those twists and stunts and movements, along with the talent 
of that Cowboys defensive front is going to go a long way towards determining how well the Giants move the ball. And frankly, Lens, how well they protect the football against the Dallas defense that led the league in takeaways last year, but have only, I think, gotten one takeaway this year, and that was the Donovan Wilson interception. Yeah, they're not nearly as opportunistic, but then again, it's only two games. And, and playing things... against two of the best quarterbacks in the league, too. Correct. However, with that being said, they've done a good job limiting the yardage for both oh, of yeah. those quarterbacks. Sixth and in I the think league. That's been probably the most impressive aspect because, let's face it, you go from Tom Brady and Joe Burrow to all of a sudden Daniel Jones. If anything, the Cowboys are looking at it and saying to themselves, hey, maybe we get a little bit of a relief now because we're not going up against a polished guy or Burrow doesn't have nearly as much experience, but Burrow, I think his numbers have been far more impressive from a consistency standpoint in comparison to Daniel Jones. That's why if you're Dallas, the interior of the Giants' offensive line is going to determine the level of success they're going to have, not just in terms of protecting Daniel Jones, but also, to your point, running the football. If you're going to get a lot of penetration up front, what does that mean for the decision-making of Saquon Barkley, who's been very decisive over the first two games in picking his spots and running north-south as opposed to going east-west? So if you're not getting the holes up the gut, that's probably a result of great penetration from the Cowboys' defensive front. So I think it's twofold. That's more of a reason why that group, the two guards and the center, need to be on high alert throughout yeah. this game because they're probably going to determine the outcome of this game. And here's the other thing. Do the Giants continue to employ the rotation at left guard, or do they finally come to an agreement that they want to ride one guy in particular? And it seems like Bredesen is in the lead there based on snap counts the first two weeks. Exactly. But we've also seen Azudu when he gets comfortable, specifically in week one, more so than week two, second half against Tennessee, he started to hit his stride, yeah, which is understandable. Especially yeah, in the run game. Correct. Yeah. For a young guy, you need to be out there on the field. Do they, once again, continue to do that because they want to give now the Cowboys' defensive front different looks? Perhaps that's part of their thinking, or perhaps, once again, they ride the hot hand if somebody does start to heat up with respect to pass protection or the rushing attack. But what Dan Quinn has done so effectively is he's moving Micah Parsons around so much, it's impossible to get a good read on him from game to game or from series to series. And also... They played him exclusively at defensive end in the last game. And normally, Dan moves him around, but he kept him. And that doesn't mean when I say exclusively at defensive end, I'm not saying they're not moving him around left to right. It's just he yeah. pretty mm -hmm. much was in one position this last game. Normally, we've seen games where he's at linebacker, he's in the middle of the field, he's in coverage, he's inside, he's outside. It was more of a defensive end assignment against the Bengals. Now, do you move him to the interior because the Giants' interior offensive line has bigger question marks, so maybe you don't want to have him exposed to Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal? That's going to be, once again, a storyline to follow, but let's put it this way. Wherever the heck Dan Quinn has put Micah Parsons, <laughs> this guy has found a way to wreak havoc and yeah. have success. You have to keep close tabs on where this guy is because here's the thing. He could start on the right, and he could finish on the left side depending on his spin move or his various arsenal of maneuvers. Just to give you an idea, Lance, in week one, Micah Parsons played 20 weeks, at 20 weeks, 20 snaps at left outside linebacker, 21 snaps at right outside linebacker, 22 snaps as an inside off ball linebacker. It's literally split even between the three spots. Last week, it was 39 snaps over the right tackle. So that's on the left side of the defense, 19 snaps on the right side of the defense over the left tackle, and then only three snaps as an off ball linebacker. So yeah, they move him around a lot, and that's going to be tough. The other thing we should mention, too, before we get to the calls again at 201-939-4513, we haven't talked much about the Cowboys' secondary yet on this show, and I think they're also a group that's going to mix up their coverages a lot. Believe it or not, the Giants and the Cowboys lead the league in the percentage of the time they play cover one. Both are around, right around 30%. So I think you're going to see a lot of press man coverage. And while Trayvon Diggs, Anthony Brown, and Jordan Lewis haven't made any big plays yet this year. And last year, that was something the group was known for. They've also done a great job of not allowing the big play. The Cowboys are tied for the league lead, only allowing three plays of 20 or more yards this year. And again, that's them playing Tom Brady and Joe Burrow. So their corner and their second there, and they played some more cover too, especially last week against Cincinnati. They've done a great job of keeping things in front of them. Now, my guess is that against a Giants wide receiver core, where they're still trying to figure things out. 
I think you're going to see probably a lot more press coverage this week. We're going to let him take some more chances. But this Cowboys secondary is something to keep an eye on, especially those cornerbacks and digs who knows how to make plays on the football. I was very impressed what they did against Cincinnati. You had Jamar Chase, you had T. Higgins, you got Tyler Boyd, you got Joe Mixon. That might be the best group of skill position players in the whole league. Yeah, it's 100% because they have a weapon at every facet of their offense. So the fact that they kept that group in check and Burrow didn't get a touchdown until late when they tied the game and then Cooper Rush responded with the game-winning field goal drive, I think that says a lot about what this defense is capable of doing. That's why this, to me, I'm not saying it's a picnic for the Cowboys, but compared to what they faced in the first two weeks, Dan Quinn, I'm with you where maybe he allows his players to take a few more chances because he's not as overly concerned about one guy in particular beating him with the exception of probably Saquon Barkley. I'm sure that's got Dan thinking about who he wants to assign him and how disciplined the guys up front need to be so you don't get Saquon matched up against a secondary player once he gets to the second or the third level of that Cowboys defense. But, I mean, let's face it. Look at the numbers, John, with respect to the Giants receiving core. Richie James is the leading guy. So it's not as if anyone has burst out onto the scene. I know Sterling Shepard had the 65-yard touchdown, and Galladay's been relatively quiet. Tony, because his snap counts have fluctuated, has also been relatively quiet. And Wondell Robinson is hurt. So, yeah, that's more of a reason if I'm Quinn, I could completely understand him saying, hey, put my guys out on an island. Let's see what they could do. And then we trust our linebackers and our defensive front to be able to handle Saquon Barkley. And then the onus is on the Giants. Get an explosive play. Get Saquon to heat up. And then now you're forcing Quinn to have to adjust his thinking throughout the course of that game. Yeah, and I could see them dropping... You know, because Jaron Curse isn't healthy for them. We should bring that up. He's like yep. their, he's kind of like their star player. He's like the Cowboys version of Julian Love, where he's going to play close to the line of scrimmage, middle of the field, almost a quasi linebacker in some situations. He's out. Donovan Wilson is their strong safety that's replacing him. He had a couple tackles in the backfield for loss last week against Cincinnati in that game. But and Lance, a veteran player who's been with the team. Oh yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and he's big and he's physical, he, and, and, and he could be trusted in that role. Not a cover guy, necessarily. I could see them dropping him into the box a lot to help out against Barkley. And frankly, Lance, and this will be the last thing I want to bring, bring up before we go to the, the calls here. To me, the approach of both these teams offensively is going to be the same. I don't think either team wants to put their quarterback into second and third and longs against the type of pass rush scheme that they're going to be facing from Wink Martindale and Dan Quinn, respectively. So I think, and you know me, I'm all about the passing game in big plays. That That's what my focus on every week. I think this is a big run game week. Whichever team is able to run the ball better on early downs to keep their quarterbacks out of those situations where the opposing defense can let loose the dogs of war and come after them. I could see there being as many defensive scores in this game and scores that come from the result of short fields from takeaways for both teams than long sustained offensive drives for touchdowns. I know Giant fans probably won't like to hear this and they want to come, they want to see, you know, an air attack and, you know, balls flying everywhere on Monday night. And Carl Banks made this point on the Huddle podcast we did. Go check it out. You know, this is going to be like Rodney Hampton grinding away for the Giants versus Emmett Smith grinding away for the Cowboys in the early 90s where this is not going to be the hands, the balls in the hands of these quarterbacks for 40 to 50 passes. I think both teams are going to try to grind this one out a little bit, and we'll see which team can stop the run better, which team can run the ball better on those early downs, and that could, I think, really impact who wins this game. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a repeat of the Panthers-Giants game, yeah, very which was similar. also an ugly, grinded-out game. Special teams could very well dictate some things with respect to turnovers. So was the Titans game, by the way. It really wasn't true. You know, yeah, too. no, it, it was absolutely. There were turnovers in that game. I thought the second half, the Giants picked things up a little bit on offense because they had some explosive plays. True. So maybe that yeah, stood out true. much more so than we saw against Carolina. And Dallas put together two lengthy drives to score touchdowns early against Cincinnati. So, you know, they've had some success, but not enough over multiple games to say, okay, this is the identity. The only other thing that I will throw out is I could see the screen game also oh, yeah. being something that enables Great either point. one of these teams to move the football. And that's why, to me, if you're Dallas, if you're Kellen Moore, if you're waiting to unleash Tony Pollard, 
I can't think of a more appropriate game than to see if that could be an extension of the rushing attack. And remember, he hurt the Giants in previous games. Now, granted, I understand it's a new scheme. It's some new personnel. I'm not saying that that gives the Cowboys a better chance. But if they are looking at that, Kellen Moore, because some similar personnel, he may tap into that. I wouldn't be surprised if Tony Pollard, there's a game where maybe he gets six, seven catches, and they try to get him a little bit out in open space. Though, you know, Michael Gallup coming back, and I think he's going to be on a pitch count, at least according to what McCarthy indicated. Yep. That's more of a reason why I don't see Cooper Rush all of a sudden airing it out just because Michael Gallup is back on the field. And here's the other thing with respect to the Giants. Daniel Jones, 21 pass attempts week one, 34 week two. The Giants want to keep him in that range, John. They do not want him getting into the 40s. Certainly, Dallas doesn't want Cooper getting into that department, unless, of course, this game just goes the opposite end of the spectrum, and it's nuts, and it's a shootout, which, hey, nothing surprises me in this day and age of the NFL, though I would be pleasantly surprised if we get to that. So that's more of a reason why. Keep the quarterback pass attempts low, protect the ball, play field position, Try to put together some extensive drives with your rushing attack and hope that you can win the game of field position because, to me, 21 points should be more than suitable to win this game. Yeah, unless you get a bunch of defensive or special team scores. That could pump the score up. 100% yeah, but agree. meaning if it's relatively clean and it's just a battle of wits on offense, the first team that could get to 20, 21 points, I think that's going to be more than suitable to win the game. I'm with you, and we'll see what the loss, and we'll see if Leonard Williams can play. I would say probably more unlikely than likely at this point. I would probably say unlikely as well. So, and, 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 and that's from our official Brian Dable injury translator, Lance Meadow, by the way. So, yes, yes I agree. We'll see how that affects the Giants' ability to stop the run, too. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. All right, folks, 201-939-4513. Giant fans, and make sure you come to MetLife Stadium for the home game on September 26th, Monday Night Football against the Dallas Cowboys. Special Ring of Honor ceremony at halftime. Bob Papa will be emceeing that. Limited individual and group tickets are available. Visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat. Hey, remember, if you're going, folks, it's a whiteout game. So wear your white jerseys, white T-shirts, white sweatshirts. And I guess it's after Labor Day. Should I tell them to wear white pants? Is there an exception to the rule? Because that would be a fashion faux pas, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Who makes up these rules, by the way? Too, Pearson I would does. Love to know. Pearson, oh, Pearson does, does actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He is well, our... I was talking about the Labor Day rule about you can't oh, no. wear white yeah, pants yeah, after Pearson. Labor Day. P- yeah, oh, he, he made up that rule. Yeah, absolutely. That's so he hasn't been on Earth for that long, but he still made up the rule. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. I'm glad we got to the bottom. Pearson of it. is our fashion authority in the building. Yes. That's correct. That's true. <laughs> no, no white after Labor Day. I said, I've always no white said after that. Labor Day. Okay. I've always said that. So when so when Pearson is doing his vacationing up in Martha's Vineyard with his other friends from Boston in the offseason, no no white after Labor Day. Absolutely. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Garrison in Mississippi. He's up next. Garrison, how are you? Good about you, Lance and John. Hey, what's going on, man? What do you got? Uh, so uh, um, I'm not sure if y'all talked about it. Uh, I know you talked about Evan Neal and everything, but how do y'all think uh, Dan Bellinger has done in his first two weeks as a pro? I know he's not. He's got that one touchdown, but I know he's going to be mostly a blocking tight end. Um, how do you think he's been doing? Look, I think he's been okay. I think we've seen him make some blocks in the run game, and he's been splitting snaps too. It looks like Tanner Hudson is yep. kind of more the guy that that they're going to use in those receiving situations. But I think Belgians had his had mm-hmm. his moments as a run blocker. But look, I would expect this to be a slow start for him. He's coming from a run oriented program at San Diego State. I don't think the intention was to slide him in right away and make him the starter. That's why they signed Ricky Seals-Jones in the offseason, right? So I think he's been kind of forced into starting duty here. So, look, if he's a guy, and, again, maybe I'm setting the expectations too low, Lance. You can tell me if I am. If he's a guy, you leave a game, and you're like, boy, I didn't really notice Daniel Bellinger. That probably means he's doing okay. Because if if you don't notice a guy, that means he's doing his job as a blocker. And I don't think we've really noticed Bellinger in a bad way the first two weeks, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think that's a very fitting way to describe it. When the question was posed, I would say there's really nothing much to digest at this point when it comes to Bellinger other than that touchdown that he made and he made a nice dive into the end zone. I don't think there's anything where you say, okay, he damaged the game or he went above the X's and O's and he took a drive to the other level. That was a nice also, dive, though. That, that was nice, it was a nice dive. dive. No, a very nice extra effort play. No doubt about it. That's why I certainly highlighted that because I think it's worth mentioning. The snap counts are pretty much across the board distribution-wise even. Yeah, Bellinger got, had 30 in Week 1, 43 in Week 2. Yeah, he's got 71. Tanner Hudson's got 46. Chris Myrick has 37. 
what we talked about this all off season. Okay. They're going to play multiple tight ends. There's not going to be one guy in particular that's going to get out there for 90% of the snap. So to me, I think it's falling right in line with that game plan over the first two weeks. Yeah, that, that's, that, that definitely works well. Um, who do you think is going to be activated off the practice squad this week with going to get the scheme of Dallas Cowboys? Because I know last week it was Tony Jefferson. I don't remember who it was week one. Yeah, I well, was, they had Quincy Roche yeah. in week one was one of the guys. And also that they uh, Max Garcia, too, right, in week one, if I'm not mistaken, was one I of their activations. So. Yeah, and yeah. then remember, Fabian Morrow was the other guy last week yeah. who they brought up because they needed the extra corner. And Aaron Robinson, I would say probably unlikely is how I would determine it. Who knows what happens? I mean, he's still working his way back from an appendectomy. They may need the extra corner then, so Morrow is a strong candidate to perhaps – return under the circumstances. And I then wouldn't Jefferson. rule that out. And then Jefferson, I and, think, and will Jefferson be the third one. Jefferson, too, could be another one, especially if Thibodeau and Ojolari are back. Right. Then the need for an additional pass rusher is not there anymore. You need more help in the secondary. Yeah, that is true. Um, I just got one more thing. I'll take it off the air. Um, so this could be the first game for me that I can actually watch since I'm out of market. I've listened to the other two games live, but um, – me and my friend, he's a Cowboys fan, and we're about to butt heads on Monday. But I know to watch for Michael Parsons going against Evan Neal and um, Andrew Thomas. But what other things should I watch out for in the game? Because this will be my first game with the new system and everything. And I appreciate what y'all do. Y'all have a good day. No, thank you, Garrison. Appreciate the call. And by the way, I would watch whether it's Parsons over there over Evan Neal or Demarcus Lawrence. And Demarcus Lawrence is off to a slow start. Uh, no sacks and also no pressures even, according to Pro Football Focus, which is really odd for him. Uh, but either him or Evan Neal or, or him or Micah Parsons will be lined up over Evan Neal for most of the game, so keep an eye on that. And keep an eye on, I would say, Lance, Trayvon Diggs, who he lines up against. He's going to try to jump some routes in this game uh, against this Giants passing attack, so keep an eye on where he lines up. And I think, Lance, to your point offensively for Dallas, I think Tony Pollard, and CeeDee Lamb, I mean, and we'll see about Michael Gallup how much he plays, but those are the guys that are capable of making big plays for Dallas. Like, Noah Brown's a possession receiver. He's not going to get behind the defense. He doesn't have that type of speed. But Gallup, Lamb, and Pollard can. And, you know, we talked about this going to be a grinded-out game. If one of these teams can figure out a way to make a big play, that could be the difference, and those are the guys that I think for Dallas are capable of making big plays. Yeah, all it takes is one big explosive play, and then that changes field position, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The other guys to watch out for, especially with the Saquon Barkley matchup, is we didn't talk about Dallas has some really strong linebackers. Leighton Van Der Esch went healthy, one of the top guys in the league. Anthony Barr they brought in this year, formerly of the Vikings. And, you know, those two guys are really the compliments to Micah Parsons because Parsons is the one that gets all the limelight. But Van Der Esch and Barr, how well do they tackle if they're going to feed Saquon Barkley? Yeah, good That's point. That's going to determine an awful lot about downs and distances for the Giants. See, here's the thing. Both of these defenses have been solid through the first two weeks of the season. You look statistically, the numbers are about even. When you talk about the pass, you talk about the rush, you know, the sack numbers, obviously there's some disparity there because Dallas has been effective. And, you know, even third down efficiency has not been good on offense for either one of these teams. Now, the Giants are number one in the league in third down defense, but Dallas is not too shabby. They're 13th. So, you know, once again, explosive plays, turnovers, you know, that's the difference makers when you have teams that don't give up a lot of explosive plays and also have been pretty well disciplined. Who's the first team to break? That could very well, once again, determine who's going to at least have the edge for half of this game or for the majority of the contest. And again, I think which team runs the ball most consistently and keeps their quarterbacks out of those disadvantageous situations where the, you know, the Cowboys can run all their stunts, the Giants can run all their blitzes, and that's when I think, you know, that's when you try to force takeaways and turnovers from opposing quarterbacks. So I'm with you. I think that's those are the things, uh, some of the things, Garrison, you can kind of keep an eye on as you watch this game on Monday night. All right, let's go back to the phones at 201-939-4513. Abdul's in Minneapolis. Abdul, what's going on? Hey, guys. I have a couple of questions or statements. So the first one, um, about this Galladay situation, um, is it, uh, do you guys think it's like he, he doesn't fit the scheme or is it, you know, something else about, you know, personality classes? Because if it's a scheme thing, I'm a little disappointed in um, 
and the, the coaching staff that they're forcing him like a square peg into a round hole. Why not design plays that 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 that, 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 that play to his strengths? It, it seems like an obvious thing, but a lot of coaches don't do that. Do you think that that the Dayball is or the uh, and Kafka are? guilty of forcing a square package around home? No. Or is it something else going on? It's more about effort and whatever. Yeah, Abdul, I'm going to be clear. We we don't know exactly what it is. Um, everyone right. that we've talked to and things people have said publicly, this is not like a dogged and a practice effort thing. They've been very happy with the way Galladay has been practicing, and that's what they've told him as well. So I do not think it is that. If it is that, this is one hell of a disinformation like smokescreen they're putting up, but I really don't think it's that. And, and I, I, what I personally think it is, this is my personal opinion, just from watching everything. I've seen every practice, all the preseason games. I think this coaching staff is searching for production of wide receiver. Um, I think they're looking for guys that can make plays. And, you know, we did not see, aside from a, a couple practices or two or three practices in a row in the middle of August, you know, Gallaudet wasn't making a ton of plays in practice. He didn't make a ton of plays in the preseason games. And he didn't make a ton of plays despite playing a lot of snaps in regular season game number one. So I think they're moving guys around trying to find something that works and is going to give them production. And I think it is going to be matchup-based partially. But to me, and I made this point with Paul earlier in the week, Lance, I'd like to get your take on it. In terms of how they play, like Galladay and Sills are similar. You know, they're both bigger-bodied, not super-duper fast, longer wide receivers. So... If you know they think Sills can fit in what they're doing, there's no reason Galladay can't also fit in what they're doing, in my opinion. So I think, Abdul, they're just cycling guys in and out and trying to find a guy that's going to make enough plays and give you the production, and that guy's going to earn his way to stay on the field. And that's why I think Richie James has stayed on the field. Right. He's the one making the catches. So I honestly think this is... We're going to play the guy that gives us the most production. We're going to give everyone a chance to give us that production. If someone does, he's going to earn his way into the lineup and stay there. So, again, I don't know if that's true. No one's told me that. But that is my, what I would call, educated opinion as to what's going on here. Lance, what do you think? Well, and they've also, they've utilized him a little bit in the red zone. So, I mean, to your point, Abdul, they may have certain packages where they feel they could play to Galladay's strengths, but when it comes to the middle of the field and they're looking to get guys more out in open space, I mean, that's not Galladay's strong point. And I think that's what also they're trying to cater to. I also brought this up when I was talking with Paul after, I believe it was the Panthers game on Monday's show, that I think, you know, when you look at Tennessee and Carolina, different defenses and your approach and how you're targeting. You had a younger secondary that Tennessee had out there, so maybe you figure Galladay can win some jump balls with them, whereas Carolina, more veteran secondary, and maybe you want to get the guys that are a little bit more elusive, get them out in open space. Now, Dallas has some veteran guys, so, you know, once again, it's a bit of a wild card how much they're going to employ Galladay, but I think that they've tried to tap into him based on where on the field perhaps he could do the most damage. Great, okay. Yeah, because I, I watched, recently I watched some highlights of him in Detroit. He's never open. And, and, uh, and, well, because uh, he's a jump ball guy. So, so, he, he uses his exactly. height. Exactly. And, yeah. and they don't do that right now. They're not doing that right now. You know, they're, they're, they're hoping for separation. Or, or uh, Daniel Jones is hoping for some separation. But that's like holiday. He's never open, but you still need to throw him the ball. But that, that's besides the point. Uh, my second point, um, and I can take it off the air, is what what's up with the um, the injured the, the IR? Is uh, our players um, do, do they have to come um, become active after the fourth game, or are they uh, eligible to come? After They're the eligible so to they, come. They come up after, after the game. They're okay. eligible to come back after so, the fourth so, game. So, so the clock doesn't start ticking after the fourth game. Okay, I got well, it. The here. clock right. starts ticking um, when you notate that that player is one of the guys that is set to return. You can only bring back eight okay. players over the course of a season from injured reserve. So you have to then delegate this player is coming back. When you do that, the clock starts. You have then, I think it's two weeks for them to build up and then it, you either activate them or they stay on IR permanently for the remainder of the okay. season. Correct. Yeah. So I do. The clock starts once they once they practice for the first time. That's when the clock starts. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So after the Chicago game, well, we might hear something, and then then people will be eligible after the Chicago game. And then okay, I got you. All right. Cool. All right, guys. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Abdul. Right. Appreciate yep. the call. 
And there's no indication that anyone is imminent to return necessarily after the Chicago game. They have a few guys that started on IR, but you know some of those guys were dealing with injuries where there was no definitive timeline, or in the case of Nick Gates, when he was dealing with a significant and serious injury going back to last season. So all I'm saying is I would not keep your hopes up that just because the Chicago game ends that somebody is all of a sudden going to start practicing again. There may actually be no activity with respect to any of those guys, depending on how things play out. Who is on IR besides Lemieux and Gates, or are those the only two? I'm trying to remember. No, there's um, Radarius Williams. Oh, Radarius Williams. Thank yeah, you. He's that still was, working his was, way back from yeah, the torn ACL right. that was the guy last I season. About. Thank yes. you. I knew there was somebody else, but I couldn't remember the damn name off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, those are the three. All right. Now, w- Williams may be somebody because he's a little bit removed, but with Lemieux and Gates, I think right now it's a gray area, John, with respect to if they're actually going to get back on the field sooner rather than later. I wouldn't tie any timeline to them. Yeah, I have, yeah neither would I. 201-931-4513. Cliff in New York, he's up next. Hey, Cliff. Hey, guys, how you doing? What's up? Um, yeah, uh, Lance, on the uh, three options uh, going against um, uh, their offense, um, uh, if I had a pick between... Um, the way we handled the Titans or the uh, Panthers, I would go with the way we handled the Panthers because sure. of because uh, of Pollard. But I think C is probably more likely because Cooper Rush is inexperienced, and we even though I think he's no slouch, by the way, I think he's pretty damn good. I really do. But I but he's inexperienced, and in the NFL, that that seems to count for the most. So I expect Wink to go after him somehow. But I think uh, we have something new on the defense that I don't remember us ever having before, which is a 12th man. And uh, that's not going to hurt. Uh, and it seems like it's for real. I, over the years, I wonder, gee, why can't we be like Seattle and, you know, Minnesota? And I thought, well, maybe it's just not in our culture. We'll have to win some other way. But it looks like we really have a 12th man. So uh, I, I don't know if you think that can be as much of a factor on, on offense. Uh, you know, with Galladay and Tony, aren't they basically mostly downfield guys? And until you have your pass pro really going the way you want it, can do you really have those options? So we're going to see Sterling and um, and the new guy, uh, the kick returner. Uh, you know, continue to Richie uh, James. yeah, Richie James. You know, I'm I'm looking for them. And uh, when when uh, I was listening to Jonathan Casillas yesterday, though, when he was saying. Uh, when a player has a gripe, he goes to the coach, and when he wants out, he goes to the media. And I thought, uh-oh. Um, so uh, I hope that's not the case uh, uh, because it would be extremely difficult to move him. Everybody, we've, we've been saying that all along. And um, uh, But um, it's a little disturbing to just hear just now that he's not a guy who's known for getting separation. I didn't. That was never really clear to me before, uh, but that, that he's mostly jump ball. But... Um, I don't know. Um, It's it's too much to expect to go downfield right now. But my question is on offense for us. You know, even when we were struggling with with much less competent personnel on the offensive line, we did get better over a period of time. And during those discussions, it was like after five or six weeks, you know, you can really expect to look for something. So I'm hoping, what do you think, in week three, because of what we went up against in the first two weeks, really good fronts, that maybe these guys have, have, have come along enough that we might actually be able to take a shot downfield? Well, first of all, I wouldn't necessarily consider Kadarius Tony an only downfield guy. He'll do a yeah. lot of stuff in and around the line of scrimmage. Galladay, yeah, he's more of a guy that you're going to try to, you know, get him the ball down the field a little bit. But, look, this is the Cowboys right now have one of the highest pressure rates in the whole league, so I'm not sure this is the week where that happens, to be quite honest with you. Dallas is a bit of a different animal because of Micah Parsons, who I don't think there's anyone on Carolina or Tennessee that's like him, that they've gone up against. The only guy that I would say that really disrupted the game was Jeffrey Simmons. But the way Dallas operates with Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons and even some of their underrated defensive tackles, you're going to have to deal with guys on the interior as much as you're going to have to deal with on the outside. But Simmons is the only one that comes to mind that I think single-handedly did enough where you had to worry, okay, hey, this guy's capable of wrecking a game. Parsons, completely very different compared to what Carolina had to offer. So to your point, yes, they have another game under their belt, but it's one thing if I tell you, all right, you're going to work against a solid Carolina group. 
Now you're going to work against a group that also has one guy that they move around and everyone's going to have to be aware of where he's at as opposed to just one guy having that assignment. So once again, cut from a bit of a different cloth cliff than some of the other teams. I'm just, I'm not so sure that there's something comparable that helps you out in this department. As far as the 12th man is concerned, it's interesting you brought that up with respect to this game. Now, I don't know how things are going to play out, but when the Giants have played the Cowboys at home in years past, there's been a very high Cowboys contingent that has shown up. So I'm going to be very interested to see how many Cowboys fans are present. I've listened to games. John, you've been with me. Sometimes it's hard to tell whether it's a Cowboys home game or a Giants home game because there's a lot of Cowboys fans. To me, that's going to be something to monitor. What's the makeup of the crowd Monday night? Cowboys fans travel just as well as Giants fans do. Yeah, and I, and as I long would... as they wear their white jerseys, we should be good. Yeah, well, <laughs> That's a good point. Chris, thank yeah, you. they'll fall right in there, Pearson. Yes, exactly. Hopefully they got that memo. Yeah, and yes. I would say, too, it's just important that you – I think you, you take a lead early, right? I think the worst thing that can happen that will eliminate that 12-man deal is that if you let the other team get ahead early and then the natives get restless – I mean, Look, we saw it at halftime of the Panthers game, right? Like, they got yep. booed off the field, walking yep. off the field after the first half, which is kind of ridiculous <laughs> given the team was, you know, had the lead at halftime and, and were 1 0 at the time, but that's what happened. Well, it was 6 so 6 at halftime, Correct. yes. Well, but the, the, point the, is 12th there. Man, the 12th man needs more reps, too, you know. <laughs> well, that, that, that's some Before excuse experience. there, Cliff. I, I, you're really digging deep, yes. The 12th 12, the man, it's been a long off season, so you know they, they need to get their vocal cords to a certain point, yes. They have to warm up but, a little bit as, more. Yeah. But as far as Micah goes, uh, last year, whatever chance we had when they visited was on that pass uh, from Glennon to Galladay towards the pylon on the right side, and Micah came from left field and, and broke it up. And that seemed to be the turning point. We were actually competitive up to that point. So I, I haven't forgotten his dropback skills. Sure. Yeah, I think that's well documented. I don't think anyone on the Giants coaching staff is going to disagree. And I'm sure a lot of them went back and watched that film because that's the only film you have to go Thanks, by Cliff. considering he was a rookie last year. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, look, I think it's going to be one of these, like, you know, look, these giant cowboy games, Lance, you know how it goes. Something weird happens. It's close. You know, toes on the end line, you know, reviews in the end zone. Weird stuff always happens in these Giants-Cowboys games. So I imagine it's going to be another one of these nip-and-tuck affairs. Hey, by the way, Pearson, Johnny K. Cobb, this is call three for him this week. So tell him, can't, can't do it. Let's go to Rick in Tampa. This is call number two for Rick, though. Rick, what's going on? Yes, yeah, this is two, but I had two days off this week, so usually it's one. No, that's so, all good, Rick. What's going on? Wheel out two. Two's hey, okay. Hey, listen, I, real quick, though, for John, you know, tonight with the – I always got to throw the Yankees point in. It, the Apple – it's on Apple, and uh, I don't think Aaron Judd's going to hit another home run anyway in Yankee Stadium this weekend. He's going to do it in Canada, which is going to be sucky because the, the dude who catches the ball is going to be a Canadian fan. And all this talk about what are you going to do with the ball, you're going to sell it, is going to be – not even in our country, which it really sucks. So I really think that's going to be the scenario for that. And well, I would hope, Rick, that whomever catches the ball is reasonable and makes a nice little settlement with Judge and the Yankees. I'm sure they'll take care of the fan, and mm -hmm. all that goes away. And hopefully, if it does happen to happen in Canada, and we'll see, the Red Sox pitching is not exactly fantastic. I could see it happening this weekend. Um, usually... Canadian fans are quite cordial, so hopefully they will they will live up to their reputation and there won't be a big controversy there. But uh, we'll it could see. be Yankees fans that travel that also too. to Canada yes. and grab yeah. the ball. That Just because it's in correct. Canada doesn't mean all Canadians are going to be present Fair for the game. I mean, no, that's that's a, true. Some generalization yeah, that, there. Yeah, I used to go, uh, when I was in Buffalo, I used to travel up to Toronto, a lot of the Yankee games, and busloads of Yankee fans go there. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. But we're back to the Giants. The um, couple quick things. Uh, Thibodeau not... Maybe playing, not playing. It's uh, would it, would he play? You think if we were one and one? I mean, you think there's anything to go with that, or they're just really taking their time because we're two and zero, oh, and it's very eerie. Uh, it's similar to uh, Odell when you know we expected Odell to play his first season, and what it was like six games. He uh, before he actually made his appearance. Yeah, well, he had the had hamstring a... issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I believe so, he showed up in week six against Atlanta. That yeah, year, it was the Falcons not mistaken. Game. Yes, yeah. it was either week five or six. I got. I think it was a little yeah. bit earlier, John. Yeah. In terms yeah, of that. But yeah, then he had a, was it week he had four? A, it could have been. May have been week four, yeah. 
Yeah. But what? Uh, you, so, so your question is, did they hold him back because of the team record? No. No, I don't no. think they well, held him back because of the team record. Not, not hold him back, but you know what I mean. I would say it was one and one. You think, I don't know. I was just throwing that out there. Rick, I let me ask you this. No, no, no. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm not pinning this on you, but I want to throw something out. The Indianapolis Colts last season, okay, <laughs> who missed the playoffs by a very small margin because they lost late in the season, and people blame them for losing to the Raiders and the Jaguars. They started the season off 0-3. Nobody talks about that. So the whole point about the record. Oh, the last, is that's why, because those games don't matter earlier well, in the Well, apparently. <laughs> well, 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 then if they won one of their few games early in the season, I don't know. you think then it's the so Jaguars ridiculous. or the Raiders game doesn't get put into the microscope? So, Rick, that's why I don't buy any of that nonsense Every that a team holds same. a player back. It, it doesn't make any sense. Every game counts the same. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I'm with Lance on that. And, but I will say this, Rick. Look, okay. if, if this was like a Super Bowl, if like last week was the Super Bowl, you know, he said he would have forced his way onto the field. I don't know if that's true or not. But, look, if it's the last game of the year, it's the Super Bowl, guys play through more stuff, which, by the way, makes sense. You're trying to you make don't have sure another he, game also yeah, after You're that, trying to so. make sure he's available for the next 16 games, right? Yeah. So yeah, you, exactly. you got to be right. careful. So, yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, I, do, do, oh, I have one question about the, uh, the approach the Giants seem to be doing this season regarding offensive defense. But – I still hold Gettleman. Uh, hang, I hang him for not getting Parsons because I wanted him. I think a lot of Giants fans wanted him, and and I think blame the GM for letting them jump him and steal him and all that crap that went on because uh, he should be a, a Giant. But you know what? Uh, what are we going to do? He said now he's our opponent, just like uh, we worried about it when he was drafted, and now it's coming to now, fruition. See, Rick, Rick, see, look, I'm, I'm actually happy you brought this up. I went. Someone on Twitter really annoyed me about this the other day. I'm not sure if you saw my reply to him, Lance, but I. I no, I can't say that. Yes, I had a button pushed, and I got a little annoyed, and I got snarky about it. And he goes, oh, it's pure comedy listening to Schmelk rave about Micah Parsons when during the draft process he questioned whether or not he could play. And oh. we did not question whether or not he could play. The question we had is, what do you do with Micah Parsons on third downs? Because at Penn State, right. he was an off-ball linebacker. He was never asked to cover, and he was an off-ball blitzer, right? And, yeah, that's fine, but how valuable is that player if that's what his role is. And we talked about how in high school he was an edge player, right? But he did not play the edge at Penn State. Well, what has made Micah Parsons into an elite NFL player? It's his ability to rush as an edge player, something he didn't do at Penn State. And we had multiple conversations, Lance, you remember this, during the draft process. Well, if Parsons can be a third-down pass rusher, and now he's turned out to be an every-down pass rusher, you know, then, yeah, he's worth the pick there. But that right now is a huge question because he wasn't asked to do that in college. So there was a lot of projection involved there. And by the way, if it was so obvious he was going to be this good of a pass rusher, he would have been a top three pick that year. Right. So, so it wasn't just us having those debates about it. So, by the way, I don't know what the hell Penn State was doing not using him as an edge rusher while he was there because he would have wrecked games for them. But the point right. being, there was a lot of projection involved with Parsons because of how he was used in Penn State. And like Lance liked to, likes to point out, too, he didn't play his final year in college either because of the pandemic. So you put that together, that's why he lasted to where he did, and that's why the Giants ended up trading down, in my opinion. And if you remember, I think in the first mock draft that year, Rick, I actually had the Giants take Micah Parsons that year. Yeah. I said, you know what? I, I, I yeah, I remember talking about it. I wanted him. I want, I saw it one night. Was it visionary to see him? Could be paired to Lawrence Taylor in his third week. No, of course, of course, are, of course. Rick, but you also you have no idea if the Giants would have taken him if they held yeah, on to the pick. They could have taken Devontae uh, yeah. Smith, too. So, yeah. you know, let's yeah, not forget that, about that. that. Well, 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 yeah. not him because he wasn't on the board because the Eagles traded up. <laughs> oh, okay. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's true, right? No, but yeah. the other guy that was there that we talked about a lot was Rashawn Slater. That was the guy right. that was sure. in there that they yeah. definitely could have taken instead. And by the way, I don't think anyone would be complaining today if Rashawn Slater was no, that big, given now well, he's played a left tackle. So, Well, it's just, it goes back to it's the hypothetical. What if, what it's if? It's the same what? thing that people argue to this day if the Giants waited to take Daniel Jones later on in the first round. We don't know. You can't give me any facts to justify that it absolutely would have played out that way. So that's why you want to exhaust yourself on getting frustrated over them not having Micah Parsons. That's fine, Rick. But at the end of the day, you're never going to know for sure whether or not they would have even taken him even if they yeah. held on to that pick. That's all. Now, and now real quick regarding the uh, – it seems with uh, the defense with, uh, um, uh, that he, he seems to be uh, doing – uh, kind of each game is its own entity, and he's really placing players 
on a scheme that Wink's doing that are conducive to who they're playing, which I think is sure. great and respects the production. I do. I think that possibly that's what the offense is doing as well, even though we haven't seen success against uh, in our offensive pass game as we'd like. Is that could be the reason where they're looking? Okay, this is the we're playing oh, team. Sure. They got big yeah. leg back. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Galladay. Even though, even though he's a, you know, he's a, he's supposedly a stud, and he was paying all this money. Everybody's kind of on an equal. You know, he's got. It's like we have this ammunition. We're saying, either, you know, we're going to use this guy in this game more, and everybody's got to sure. be on page with that. You see that happening? Is that the way they're approaching yeah. the well, season? Rick, we were talking about that earlier in the program. Yeah. That's exactly what we were saying. Yeah, and by the way, remember, Brian Dable comes from the Bill Belichick school, and who who's more of an amoeba week-to-week than Bill Belichick in terms of how he approaches these matchups? Yeah, especially using the running backs and playing time. It's oh, my gosh, nightmare. yeah, right? Oh, yeah. my gosh. You never know. One guy gets 20 snaps one week, and then he gets nothing the following hey, week. Hey, even, like, the receivers yeah. with, like, Kendrick Bourne, right? He's been yeah. in and out. I mean, yeah, so. Yeah, but it, it's absolutely. absolutely. That, that's definitely the direction they're going in. I mean, Tony goes from having seven snaps to having a lot more snaps in week two. Galladay goes in the opposite direction. Sills goes from nothing week one to all of a sudden being involved. On defense, you look at the linebacker snaps in week one compared to week two. Yeah, it's going to fluctuate based on the game plan, and both the offense and the defense are following that game plan. So I don't think we need to speculate. I think there's some tangible evidence to justify that. That's why, John, I've said this time and time again, Brian Dable and Galladay, listen, he's got every right to be irritated. I'd want a player irritated over not playing. What do you think? I want him to come out and say, yeah, sure, I'm okay with two snaps. Yeah, Brian Dable said that, by the way. He doesn't want a player happy that he's not playing. I have no problem with Galladay being irritated. I want to see that out of my players. But I think Dable at least has been pretty clear, as has Wink Martindale, that going into this season— just because you play a lot in week one doesn't mean it's going to be like that every single week. So if they've been up front with the players, they've made that clear, and there's been evidence to support that, it's hard to say that they're just throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing if it'll stick from a PR perspective because I just I don't think that's the case this time. Yeah, and he's also said numeral, numeral, numerous times, that's not a word, at various press conferences that that's exactly what they're going to do in the wide receiver position, Lance, is a competition. And that's what... It's going to be. The guys that produce are the guys that are going to get on the field. So, yeah, this shouldn't necessarily be a surprise to anybody. If you took a look at what Dable even said Wednesday, he talked about, yeah, we're going to play the receivers. They got to, you know, they're, it's a group that you want them to be exactly where they are, when they're supposed to be there, you know, and he harped on some of those details too. So, just something to keep in mind uh, moving forward here. Let's wrap up the show. We have one final caller. Uh, let's go to our buddy Stas out in Washington. Stas, what's going on? Hey, what's up, John? What's up, Lance? Yo. Just, just, just gee whiz information. The no white after Labor Day comes from the 19th century. It's very old law. It was a way to separate new money from old money. Oh, is that true? Yep. Huh, there it we was, go. Uh, the, 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 Good the law, elitists Pearson. were, were <laughs> they wanted to be separated from the new railroad money, so that was their rule that they came up with. And oh, okay, so it was the old money that refused to wear white after uh-huh. Labor Day. Right. So okay. So that makes sense. That's why Pearson's such an adherent to that rule, given where he's he's come from. That makes a lot of sense. Old then. money. Old yeah. money. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No way. No. I'm sorry. That's um, no money. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's more accurate. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, Stas. But um, listen, uh, look. This game uh, for I think this is a, this is a winnable game. I think this is a fifty-fifty game, in my honest opinion, because I've looked at this team, both teams, and. Each have their edges, but like when I look at my total offense, like the Giants are actually plus 78 in total offensive yards over Dallas, um, believe it or not. I didn't think that until I started diving into the numbers. Yeah, Dallas, Dallas did nothing rushing. against Tampa Bay. They actually did a lot better with Cooper yeah. Rush in week two than they did in week one with Dak against Tampa. Yeah, yeah, and, and even a lot better, like you look at the rushing, like they did 107 against uh, in last week, rushing yards, and 72 the, the week before that. So, I don't. I look at this game as actually a game that kind of benefits the, the way the Giants have been playing. No, I agree. The Giants are more accustomed to this kind of game, and, and a lot. I know a lot of people have been saying, "Hey, you know, let's we need to we need to get Daniel Jones to just open it up." I say the opposite. I want to negate. To me, I have a big red circle around Michael Parsons, and I want to negate him. I want quick throws, quick screens. I want to run the ball at him. I want to get him moving left to right versus north and south. I want to take his legs. That would be my game plan. 
and, and it's going to be grueling and it's going to be ugly football if, 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 if I had it my way. But I'd run the ball right at him. I, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but take his legs. Don't take the advantage with some seven-step drops where he's going to just destroy you because that's his game. You know, that, that dude is a problem. He's a legit problem. I think you negate him, you have a chance to win the game and, and, and play good defense. Like, you just have to quick screens, quick passes, grind out the game because the, with all of the – like, when you look at like, – like, even when you compare, like, the teams we've played, right? Like, the Bucks aren't a good team. A Tom Brady team has scored 39 points this year. That's not a good Bucks team right now. Well, you know, well, 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 well but Stas, good, good offensively. Their defense has been tremendous, though. Right. Right, that's what, that's what like, and then you look at the the the, the Bengals. They're, they're they're not trying not to go zero and three against the Jets this week. So we both beat teams that have put out subpar performance because the Titans was you know the number one in the the number one seed last year, and and everyone had us pick to lose that. I think this is a, a close game. I think it's going to end in the twenties. I, I call the Giants win this on on Godot's leg on a 24-21 game. That's that's how I see this game going. Um, but those are my thoughts. I'll, I'll hear your response to it offline. No, thank you, Stas. Hey, look, and I'll say this, and, and you know, we don't make predictions here, and I'm not going to give you a score or anything like that. But Lance, to me, one of the two teams in this game is going to score a defensive or special teams touchdown, and that team is going to be the team that wins the game. I think that's what this is going to come down to, which defense can make that big play, or special teams. You know, We haven't mentioned, by the way, Cavante Turpin, yeah. who's the Cowboys' kick and punt returner. People are like, well, who the heck is Cavante Turpin? Well, he was in the XFL, or was it the AF, AFL? No, XFL. He was in yeah. the XFL, right? He was their MVP, all right? And he had two kick returns for a touchdown in the preseason he's this year guy. against the Chargers. Little guy, I think he's only like 5'7". Lance, you love him. He's super fast. <laughs> Well, I know and he's fast. I mean, he's very so, fast. That's been so well documented. You talk about the Giants and coverage on special teams. You look at him. You look at you know Parsons and Diggs and those guys we've talked about already. And then for the Giants, the Martindale scheme, how they're going to blitz. If Ojolari and Thibodeau play, Xavier McKinney, can they force a takeaway? So who is and maybe Richie James on a punt, get, you know, getting a return. Where are they? Where are these teams going to get offense? Not from their offense, and that is, I think, going to be what decides this game. That's just well, me. which side could shorten the field is what you're saying. Yeah. And it could absolutely come from or score the defense outright. or special teams. Yeah, they could score outright, but I don't even think they need to score outright. I think, once again, if you get Turpin on a big return, since we're talking about him right now, and now Cooper Russian Company, they only need to go half the field. Okay, well, you gain a first down or two. Now you're in Brett Maher's range, and maybe that gives you three points yeah. under the circumstances. Or if the Giants get a defensive turnover, case in point, against Carolina, let's face it, the Panthers spotted the Giants six points in the first half because the offense already took over in Carolina territory. So you figure at worst, as long as we protect the football, we gain a few yards, we'll at least have Graham Gano's leg to rely yeah, on. And the Panthers cost themselves a possession. They didn't even, yeah. they, you know, they lost the coin toss, and they got the ball first, but they fumbled on the kickoff. So they lost an entire possession on that too. Yeah, at bats it comes back to. But that absolutely could play a role. I just, I think both teams are more than comfortable playing an ugly game. I mean, the Dallas-Cincinnati game was not an offensive clinic. They had to grind that out in the second half. They scored early, and then all of a sudden, it was both offenses that really disappeared. And I think the Dallas team right now, their identity is their defense. Their identity is not their offense. It's not the number one offense in the NFL like we saw last season. They understand they're limited because, obviously, they don't have Dak Prescott. They don't have a fully healthy offensive line, no Amari Cooper. They were winning games with their defense or remaining competitive last year thanks to Dan Quinn's mm -hmm. unit. So I really don't think that's out of character for them. Listen, every team would love to be able to open up their offense. I think if you ask both the Giants and the Cowboys, they're in the same position. But I think both of these teams are of the mindset, if we have to win in the high teens or low 20s, we have the personnel that could take care of that. And that's more of a reason why I could see this, once again, being very similar to the Carolina game and it being a game that comes down to who protects the ball, who wins field position, and maybe who has the ball last to perhaps get in position for a field goal. Yeah, and I do feel better about the Giants with Saquon Barkley to make that one big play offensively. I don't think there's anyone on Dallas that is as explosive as Barkley is, so I do think that's a little bit of an advantage to the Giants. 
Yeah, I mean, clearly Dallas has not had explosive plays in the rushing attack at this point. I mean, I think Zeke's got the track record to do it, and Tony Pollard does. We just we haven't seen it in and comparison by the way, to Saquon this season. Technically, that was a reception Tony Pollard had for 40 yards. It was really a run play. It was a, it was a toss yeah, it was a play pitch. outside. Yeah, it was yeah. a toss I mean, outside. Yeah, that correct. was basically an explosive run. It just didn't technically count as one. Correct. Well, I mean, listen, it goes down in the mathematical archives is you know, a certain label, but if you watched it from an optic standpoint, correct. It could still be justified as a run based on how the play ended up. I mean, it's all it's all the semantics of the scoring when it comes to the National Football League. That's really what it comes down to. Lance, good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and check us out on Monday Night Football. We'll have coverage on WFAN 660. So don't worry about Aaron Judge. He'll be at 61 by then. You can just tune in to us on 660 AM and, of course, uh, streaming as well on WFAN. Pre-game starts at 645. Yeah, that's right, Pearson. He's doing it against the Red Sox. Deal no, with it. It's, it's okay. successful Red Sox season if they don't. If they don't allow the record against them. <laughs> and, I don't and, think they want to give him anything to swing no. at anyway if you're Boston. And and Pearson's Celtic season is, is already off to a great start. It's a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a great start there for the Boston Celtics. Well, remember, the players at the end of the day have a heavy influence, Very, so they didn't lose anybody from the roster at least. Very true. Absolutely. So, again, check out us out on WFN at 645 on Monday night. Um, you can check that out. And, of course, go to the Giants Huddle Podcast. I mentioned the little Carl Banks. It's up later today, our Friday one. Well, Julian Love, Lance and Paul, Todd Archer from ESPN. And then we're going to have Brian Dable with Bob Papa. And then I'm working on maybe a bonus one from over the weekend. It's a long weekend with game not until Monday. Trying to get uh, somebody from ESPN on to preview the game on uh, ESPN's Monday Night Football. All right, everybody. Thanks for being with us. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Have a great weekend. We'll, we, and we will have a show on Monday, by the way, at 1230, uh, leading up to that game, Giants and Cowboys. So we'll see you then. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.